Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, and uh, we're glad to be with you tonight. We have uh, our, our very, very uh, special guest and, and, uh, and regular guest. Uh, he's a blessing to have on uh, once a month. Uh, we have Mr. Lucas Doremus, Christian author and Bible teacher extraordinaire. And you'll see that uh, as we begin our discussions, and if you've been with us uh, the last couple of months, um, then you understand why I say Bible teacher extraordinaire. Uh, he has a spiritual gift, and and we're blessed to, to have him with us uh, and, and for him to be able to share it with you. So uh, we are pleased to have you on again as usual, Lucas. Uh, let us know, if you would, what we're going to be diving into tonight. We left off last month in chapter 7 of Job. And Indeed. Job lost, so we talked about Job losing hope, and I think that's kind of the whole reason that started this. You know, something yeah. something happened when his wife told him to, you know, go die, curse God and die, and he said, shall we not yeah. accept good and bad? Yeah. And then over time, something happened, and now he started complaining. And that's something I think is a loss of hope. He didn't see his situation ever changing. He didn't see anything ever getting better. So why not just sit down and complain? <laughs> well, you know, that, that, that would make Job uh, like almost every one of us. It, sometimes cathartic things can happen that can throw you into that kind of funk. Mm -hmm. Especially when you don't talk or eat for a week. <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah, you know that may contribute a little bit. Yeah, yeah. a little hangry yeah. there or something like that. A little. So. Yeah, could there be a little anger involved? Yes. Yep. So Job. That's awesome. Yep. Job talked about wanting to die, and we got through Eliphaz. He basically just ripped into him and told him he was, you know, he's deserving what he's getting. And uh, Job yeah. came what back and. What a buddy. Yeah, and just kind of said, no, I'm I'm justified in complaining like this. I haven't done anything wrong. And so now Bildad gets to respond, and this is chapter 8. So it Bildad. starts... Oh, yes, yes, he's the other friend, the, the shortest man in the Bible. Yes, the shoe height. Bildad the shoe height. <laughs> just such a I'm sorry. lame joke. I, I apologize <laughs> for that. Sorry about that. All right, so chapter 8, it starts off, Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you speak these things, and the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? Does God subvert judgment, or does the Almighty pervert justice? Now, this is why we started out with Elihu, because that is true. God does not subvert judgment. God does right. not perverse justice. He is always just. The problem is Bill Height. Bill, Bill Height. There, I tried to combine them there. Bill Dad's conclusion <laughs> on how that plays out is yeah. wrong. Right. Because right. in verse four, if your sons have sinned against him, he has cast uh -oh. them away for their transgression. Now, uh -oh. you know, the guy has lost everything. The guy's got this terrible skin disease. His wife has left him. And what's, what do you tell him? Well, you know, your sons, they died because they deserved it. <laughs> and his daughters, by the way. And he didn't mention it, but all his servants and all his, you know, all his wealth. 
uh, yeah. boy, what a comforting yeah. thing to be told. Well, you know, your sons died because they deserved it. Yeah, and this is all your fault because you probably sinned and they're paying for your sin. Yeah, well, it, and I thought the other insinuation I thought of was they must be worse than you because they're dead and you're not. So whatever they were doing is way worse than what you have done. Wow. You know, I mean, that's now he didn't say that. I'm kind of insinuating, but the the logical reasoning flows that, you know, if they're dead because they sinned and Job's not dead, well, they must have done something worse. Yeah. You know, and so. You know, I, I, I wonder uh, if if you were in Job's situation or I was, if I had what I considered to be friends talking to me like that. I'm not sure what I would, you know, Job, Job at this time had some pretty sharp pot shirts in his hand. I think yeah. I, I think I might've been ripping up my, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. You're a good buddy. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks for coming by. Yeah. And so, goodness. so, you know, Bill, dad, nothing worse than, than getting telling them your kids are dead because they deserved it. And then verse 5, he just keeps going. If you would earnestly seek God, as in, you know, you're not seeking God right now, and making your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, as in you're not pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Now, that's that's a little interesting that he would say it this way because he's saying that Job is deserving of what he's getting, just like his sons were, Yeah. which actually logically doesn't even make sense because we were given the amount of wealth and blessing that Job had before this whole thing had. Right. So by Bill Dad's reasoning... Job should have never had any of that. Right. Because all of a sudden all this bad stuff happens. Well, Job wasn't doing anything at the moment, and that could have easily been communicated to Bildad. And so how does it make sense in Bildad's reasoning that Job had all these blessings and then all of a sudden he lost it, which means he was wicked the whole time? Wait a minute. Yeah, doesn't make much sense. But I think it may also, you know the quote-unquote friends' attitudes uh, and the things they're saying to Job, I think may have been born out of a sense of, oh, I don't know, jealousy? Maybe. Could be, you know? Mm -hmm. How often could you look at a neighbor who was just incredibly wealthy and you didn't Mm -hmm. think he had any particular right to be, uh, you know, how long would that? Could you look at that without it chewing at you, without it eating at you, without you feeling, boy, like I, why not me? Yep. You know, depending on what your desire is. Yep. Yeah. So I think it, a lot of this could be could have been born out of a sense of uh, jealousy before all the uh, the mishaps uh, and and the persecu- the satanic persecution happened. And now they're taking the opportunity to voice some of what they've been feeling for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's a theory. Yeah, it's a, the- it's a theory, and it doesn't say that, but it is certainly human nature. <laughs> 
to uh, do that to somebody. And so, you know, Ecclesiastes, it talks about, in the, this is chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, in verse 16, it says, In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. Right. And like you're right. saying, boy, doesn't it feel good when somebody that you're jealous of and maybe has what you have, oh, now I can, oh, they really didn't deserve, you know, that that feels yep. good. But Ecclesiastes says later, chapter 7, verse 10, one of my all-time favorite verses, do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Right. You know, it says that in uh, chapter 8, or, or 9, or, yeah, 8, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. That's chapter 9, verse 1. And it's just, look, we don't know why things happen sometimes. Some, sometimes well, for sure. Yeah, sometimes there's a direct correlation, but oftentimes we just don't know. And looking back, we're not really sure if those were good things or bad things. You know, I, I like to joke with people, you can't really say those were the good old days. All you can say is those were days. <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just can't. But Bildad goes on and he tries to give some evidence, I suppose, for uh -huh. uh, his claim here in verse 8. For inquire, yeah. please, of the former age and consider the things discovered by their fathers. Now... As we started off this series, this happened relatively close after the flood. We don't know exactly when, but it was sometime around then. So I've got to assume here that Bildad's talking about pre-flood. Because those stories would have been passed down. Uh, the former age, that just makes the most sense. And I think when he says, For we were born yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow... Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? Well, he's using this as evidence to back up his theory. Well, the flood was a judgment. That would have been communicated. And so I think Bildad's saying, yeah, look to the people who died in the flood. They all got the justice they deserved in that. So yeah. I think that's what he's trying to say here in verse 8 uh, through 10. Moving on to verse 11, can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water? Yet, while, or excuse me, while it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. So are all the paths who forget, oh, so, sorry, I keep reading it wrong. So are the paths of all who forget God and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish. So Bildad turns to nature and he's just saying, look, if a plant can't grow without the nourishment it needs, they die. Well, just the same, everyone who does wickedness, they die. <laughs> or yeah. they get punished, you know, that's... Right, mm -hmm. right. And so, uh, verse 14, he goes gone. Whose confidence, that's the wicked, shall be cut off, and whose trust is a spider's web, which is not very strong. You can break through a spider's web very easily. He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. He grows green in the sun, and his branches spread out in his garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap and look for a place in the stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. So Bildad might be letting on here. Well, you know, you'll prosper for a little while, and then you'll get judged. 
Um, he could be kind of saying that, but he's, I mean, he's really just, again, giving more examples, laying into Job. Yeah, you're yeah. The, the wicked get what they deserve, and you're getting what you deserve right now. So he's being extremely critical here of Job, not exactly what Job needs to hear. And then verse 19, Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. So just like Eliphaz, Bildad here is promoting a works-based salvation. He's saying, ultimately, look, if you repent, if you change your behavior about all this, which is how a lot of people interpret the word repent, then everything will get better. So not only is it somewhat works-based, but it's also kind of leans on this prosperity gospel kind of you idea. Know, you know, I think that's correct. Mm-hmm. It sounds very familiar, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Because he's making a very one-to-one -one correlation. Uh, you do good things, good things happen. You do bad things, bad things happen. Now, in the general sense, that is true. But as we read in Ecclesiastes, that's not always true. We don't always know why bad things happen. The works-based salvation, prosperity gospel thing, you know, they're edging on this karma idea, which, again, I know karma goes deeper than just good for good and bad for bad. Yeah. But it's that kind of idea, and this is where it all started, first book of the Bible recorded. Yeah. So that's, yeah. What, that's what they're promoting. Uh, they are. I mean, it's clear that that's exactly what they're promoting. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to Job then. Uh, chapter 9, this is a great chapter in the book of Job. Very famous for the, the last few verses in this chapter. So we'll go through it here. Now, Job starts out, it says, Then Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so. I think Job, on the surface at least, is actually agreeing with Bildad. In terms of what Bildad said, you know, does God subvert judgment or the, the Almighty pervert justice? He's agreeing with him in that point. They're all agreed on that. But, right. he, but he goes on. But how can a man be righteous before God? Boy, what a great question. <laughs> how can a man be righteous before God? Oh, let me give you 12 verses of reasons why a man cannot be righteous before God. Here we go. If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. God is, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? No one is the answer to that. He removes the mountains, and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. Could be an earthquake here that, God's, that he's talking about? He commands the sun, and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades. Now, those are the constellations that we recognize today. Right. Meaning, back then, man was very aware of the constellations and things. And then he says, and chambers of the south, 
which I think that may be referring to the constellations and things that are in the southern hemisphere. I, I think that's probably the reference here, yeah. Uh, which means man got around and stories passed and traveled and they told him what to look for in the stars. Science was passed down. Mm -hmm. Verse mm -hmm. verse 10. He, that's God, does great things past finding out, yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. Isn't that true? Because God's like the wind. That's right. The same word in Hebrew, actually in Greek too, for wind is spirit. God is a spirit. And God's holy spirit, holy wind. You could actually translate that, and it would be perfectly accurate. He's mm -hmm. described as being a wind, you know. Yes, he is. Verse 12. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Nobody. Who can say to him, what are you doing? Again, nobody. God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. So Job's question, how can a man be righteous before God? Well, no man can do anything close to what God right. does. That's right. And that's Job's point, is Job just <laughs> did a, I mean, who could do a better job of explaining how great God is? Uh, and here we go. So the answer, nobody, nobody can be righteous before God. Right. Boy, how sad it would be if the Bible stopped there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and, right. and so, and we're going to get to that at the end of the chapter, but how sad would it be if the creator of the universe, there was no way for us to be righteous before him? Because that's well, kind of what Job is saying. That would be uh, a detestable situation. Mm -hmm. But let's read on. Verse 14. How, can, how then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? Yeah, mm -hmm. again, great question, Job. Mm -hmm. For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. Exactly. Because the judge in a courtroom today, as what a, you know, quote, courtroom would be back then, they have the power to condemn, well, the power to make you guilty or not make you guilty. Right. And you don't have that power. Right. But what do we do with judges? Well, we reason, we establish evidence, all those things, to establish whether we're not guilty. Right. But because of what Job said about how great God is... I can't do that. There's no evidence I can present before this judge. Right. Verse 16. If he called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. <laughs> yeah, how, how sad that if we, if we were to call to God, we couldn't know if he listens. Oh, that's what idols are. Well, I'll be doggone. I believe you're correct. Uh, Aaron, we'll give you gold. Can you make an idol for us so we can praise what? The work of our hands? Because mm -hmm. that idol, that cow, isn't going to talk back to you. No. Nope, it's not going to move for you once. Mm -hmm. And I think actually that passage in Exodus talking about the golden calf, you ever wonder if that's how most of the... Uh, pagan religion started somebody just decided I'm going to make a idol and then after a couple generations all these stories get built up around it and that's and then we have Egyptian mythology Greek Norse yeah. 
whatever it is. Babylonian. Mount Sumerian, all yeah. that stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Verse, I'm, I'm not saying all of them were that way, but you ever wonder if somebody just, oh, let's, I'm going to make this, and that'll be our God, and a couple <laughs> generations go by, and now it's established. I, I, guess, I can't, yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess it could happen that way. Yeah, I don't know. Verse 17, For he crushes me with a, with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. Hmm. Oh, Job, if you could only wait until God shows up. Oh, there is a cause. <laughs> God always has a reason. Oh, yeah. Uh, as Romans says, he's working it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. He's working yeah. it out for the good of those for those who believe in him. We may not understand how it's being worked out or the timing True. all those things, but he is working it out. So there's always a cause. Verse 18, he will not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. Well, Job, it didn't start that way. Sure didn't. You weren't filled with bitterness at the beginning. What happened? Uh You lost hope and you filled yourself with bitterness. That's right. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, if I meet Job in heaven, and I will, (laughs) who could could blame the guy? Uh, At this point? Yeah, not me. nobody. I'm not going to blame him for losing feel, feelings bitter. No, I'm not mm-hmm. going to blame you, but God has a purpose. And we have this story to encourage us when times get really rough. We read the end of the book and we say, oh, there was a purpose to all that. Which all right. means if God had a purpose in doing that to Job, he has a purpose in doing whatever is happening to you. Yeah. And we... Uh, and we that, can rest in that. Yeah, that's logical. Mm-hmm. Verse 19. If it is a matter of strength, indeed he is strong. And, it, and if of justice, who will appoint my day in court? Oh, good question, Job. Well, he'll, you'll answer that in a little bit. Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. Uh-huh. Yes, it would. Yes, it we would. can read in Revelation... People are going to come with books, stacks and stacks, maybe truckloads of good works that they're going to present before Jesus on the judgment seat. Uh And they're not going to matter. Their words are going to condemn you because you didn't have faith. That's right. And we want you to have faith. We want everybody that listens to this podcast to believe in Jesus Christ, who died for your sins and rose from the grave. And when you believe that, as the scripture says, you will go to a heaven. You get eternal life. That's right. That's the only reason we're on the air. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're here to preach that message, and we want to increase your sanctification after <laughs> you get saved. Amen. Verse 21. I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. Now, <laughs> Job is not blameless he is a sinner like the rest of us in all of history oh yeah and we've stated this multiple times i'm going to keep saying it because it comes up it is true that job did not directly do anything to deserve what he's getting but it's also true that he did not do anything not to deserve it that's right because we deserve hell yes 
So Job, I know it feels like you're not blameless, or, or like you are blameless, but you're not. That's right. And that's a self-righteous attitude, and ultimately that was Job's problem. Yeah, Verse that, one, that, that's another common human frailty, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Verse 22, it is all one thing. Therefore, I say, he destroys the blameless and the wicked. From Job's perspective, that seems pretty accurate. Because Job knows that he didn't do anything directly, but he's getting yeah. punished. And he sees the wicked getting punished when they do wickedness. So it must be all one thing. It doesn't really matter. He's going to punish everybody. Yeah. More on that later. Well, let's go on. Verse 23, if the scourge says suddenly he laughs at the plight of the innocent... God does not laugh. He gets no pleasure in uh, judging the wicked. He doesn't do that. He wants everybody to be saved. That's what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Very, very clearly. You know what? Because I've kind of been terrible at paraphrasing tonight. Let me just look it up. That's in Second Timothy. I'm going to turn there real quick because I want to say it correctly instead of <laughs> what I've been attempting to say correctly. Uh, let's see. Where is it here? Is this in Timothy? I'm sorry. I should have prepared this. But, you know, sometimes you just think of things and then they yeah. uh, they pop up and yes, that's okay. Do. At least I know where to find it. Uh, where is it? Boy, I am not finding it, and I am not going to... Oh, no, no, here it is. For there is one God and one mediator... Whoop, we're going to get to that in a little bit. Between oh, yeah. God and man, the man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due, due time. I'm sorry, that's the wrong verse. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come that's to right. the knowledge of the truth. That's right. Sorry, folks, for the... Uh, <laughs> oh, we're all human, so sorry <laughs> for that. Uh, yeah, but I wanted to communicate the verse appropriately. It's better for me to be read it and be accurate than to think I'm self-righteous. <laughs> so he laughs at the plight of the innocent. No, he does not. He desires all men to be saved. Verse 24. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, who else could it be? So I think what Job is kind of edging at here, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked, as in, look, if God punishes the righteous and the wicked the same way, then the earth obviously goes to the wicked because at least they're getting along in life better than the blameless. You know, the wicked can trample over people. The blameless don't do that. If they all get the same result, you might as well be wicked. If so, you can't beat them, join them? Yeah, yes, that would be a good modern colloquialism, I think, of what Job is saying here. Then Job, in verse 25 here, he goes back to complaining a little bit. Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on its prey. If I say, I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. I am afraid of all my sufferings. I know that you will not hold me innocent. So Job even admits here, even if I try to forget what's going on, I can't. It's so in my face, I can't avoid it. I just have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no way for me to not. It's so, you know, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Verse 29. 
if I am condemned, why then do I labor in vain? As if, if I'm just going to do this, why can I not die? Which Job has made a big point about earlier. If I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, yet you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will abhor me. I can't do anything to get out of my situation. I can't even act like it's not there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Verse 32. Here we go. Now's where we finally get to conclude all those little cliffhangers <laughs> we left earlier. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on both of us. And at that time, he was technically correct, wasn't he? Technically, yeah, technically, he was correct. Yeah. There is nobody that can bridge the gap between how Job described God at the beginning of the chapter and the little old man that Job is. There's nobody that can say translate. The best example I can come up with, and I've heard this before, is think about trying to communicate to an ant. Exactly. Or for that matter, think of an ant trying to communicate back to a human. Right. You know, a person can't do that. There's just such a gap in, I mean, everything, physical, mental, everything. There's such a gap in the ant versus the human, and that's... (laughs) It's the same, except it's infinitely more on God's side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's the, one of the closest ways we can come. So, yeah, there is no way for Job to communicate because there's nobody that can translate it. Hmm. But what did we just re- read? That Jesus is the mediator. Well, yeah, and that's why he was provided. Mm-hmm. Uh, as if, uh, he, was, he was meant to be. Uh, a mediator between God and men. And that's why I say at this point in time, when when Job is speaking about it, technically he is correct because there was not a known mediator between God and men at that time. Mm-hmm. And we read it, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Now, yeah. why is Jesus the mediator? Well, because he was both. That's right. He understood. He took on our sufferings. He did. He went through everything we did. He was tempted as we are. Tempted as, just as we are tempted. Mm-hmm. Yet he was God the whole time. That's right. So he is the only one capable of being that mediator. Mm-hmm. And he chose to die for you. That's right. Which, in Job's case, what he's saying, the ultimate way of showing that mediation is to take care of that sin problem. Yeah. And the only way to take care of that, somebody had to die. There had to be a sacrifice. Yeah. And the only way it could be was a sinless human being. Right. And God, as that person, rose from the dead and was capable to satisfy that punishment for everybody. He was the only one that fulfilled every qualification that would have been needed to be the total and only mediator between mm-hmm. God. Yep. Yeah. Now, if if that sounds kind of crazy and logically it maybe doesn't make total sense, think about 
what we are saying in terms of Jesus providing that to a holy God. Think about that and contrast that with every other religion. There is no other belief system that has the gods or God, the higher powers, however you want to put it, reaching down to man Mm -hmm. and providing something for man. It's always the other way. Always the other way around. God always has, or the man, excuse me, man always has to live up to what God's standard is Mm -hmm. or the God's standard, again, however you want to say it. So just think about that from a logical perspective of, well, I can place my faith in all of these things or be an atheist and agnostic. That's an option too. But if we're looking at belief systems, Christianity, Judaism, is the only one that has God going that direction. You know, and it, that's right. Uh, Christian only belief system that offers a personal savior. Mm-hmm. Only one. Yep. The only one. Now, if you think about it, th- that's a big deal. And yeah. if you need to stop and think about it, that's dwell on that for a while. Yeah. Uh, verse 34. Let him take his rod away from me and do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. As in, if God was not the judge, if he did not have the power to condemn me, then I could talk to him. And I think Job's right about that. I think if the fear of God and the ability for him to not punish us, if that was taken away, I think there would be a sense in which we could communicate with him. Isn't that what all the other religions do, is they make God or the gods more like man, which makes them more relatable, which makes us more able to understand what we think we want to understand, because we built them in our image. Moving on to chapter 10, Job says, My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Again, who can really blame the guy? Verse 2, I will say to God, uh, be careful. (laughs) Anyway, I, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Now, Job here Well, okay, I'll start like this. In the Psalms, there are a lot of Psalms that say, why, God? Absolutely. But they always end with a, but I will praise you anyway, or but I will trust in your mercy. Right. They're asking from a place of, God, I don't get it, but I know there's a reason here. Right. That is not the standpoint Job is asking from. He just said, I will give free course to my complaint. He's complaining to Job. Yeah. Not this is not an honest why. This is like when your kids go why. You yeah. know, you you know they're not asking why to understand. They're asking why to complain. Uh, does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked? As in, why are you punishing me like the wicked? I'm not wicked. This is coming dangerously close to the blame, laying the blame, dangerously close. 
I don't think it's completely, you know, Job's laying the blame on on God. He just doesn't understand why. Mm-hmm. But it sounds almost like he's he's close to saying, "Well, this is your fault." Yeah. This doesn't have to happen. What did I do? Yep. Definitely the what did I do part. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Definitely that much. Yeah. Okay, verse 4. Do you have eyes of flesh, or do you see as a man sees? As in, you don't understand, because you're not man. Are your days like the days of a mortal man? Are your years like the days of a mighty man? That you should seek for my iniquity and search out my sin? Although you know that I am not wicked, uh, and there is no one who can deliver from your hand. Now, from a purely kind of humanistic point of view, this actually seems correct. As in, if if Job explained God the way he did at the beginning of verse or chapter nine, well, you could kind of make an argument that God didn't understand. Because he's not a man? Kind of. You know, it's like telling Tesla that he didn't know anything about electricity. (laughs) I was going to just point out, but Job, you know, they brought up the flood a second ago. Yeah. The other story that would have been communicated is God's grace to Noah, Mm -hmm. that God didn't destroy everything. Mm -hmm. So Job here, you know, you could kind of make this argument that God you don't understand but already in enough history up until Job was alive that already has proven to not be true by God's uh, behavior Uh, beyond that he already promised a savior way back in Genesis 315 which we know was communicated down the generations Yep. so on the surface Job's argument kind of makes sense but not really because job's leaving out a lot of evidence here <laughs> yeah and I, I don't know i mean i wouldn't you be rather foolish wouldn't it sound rather foolish for for the creation to say to the creator you don't understand me oh don't go too far ahead of me now curtis <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> We're going to get there. Yes, we oh, okay. are. All right. um, verse 8. But yes, Job is absolutely doing that. He is. The, mean, cl- the clay is saying to the potter, why have you made me like this? Oh, that's Romans 9, and we're going to get there in a second. Okay. Verse 8. Your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity. What? Yes, it is. Boy, aren't isn't God's creation amazing? It absolutely is. Remember, I pray that you have made me like clay, and will you turn me into dust again? Well, I mean, yeah, but why? Yeah. Well, because you sinned. It wasn't something I did. <laughs> you know, talking from God's perspective. Yeah. Verse 10. Did you not pour me out like milk? And curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and favor. Your care has preserved my spirit. And these things you have hidden in your heart, I know that this was with you. Now, that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. You know, even at this point in history, before we have David saying, you know, how you knit me in my mother's womb and... 
or Jeremiah saying, you know, or God saying, I knew you before, you know, before you were born. Right, right. This has already been communicated that God did all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So Job's actually got an understanding. His conclusion is wrong, but his proposition yeah. is actually correct. You made me like this in an intricate unity, but Job's conclusion is, but you're destroying me without cause. No, no, no. He made you an intricate unity to make you better, to sanctify you. See, that's the conclusion you need to have. Right, right. Uh, verse 14. If I sin, then you mark me and will not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am wicked, woe to me. Even if I am righteous, I cannot lift up my head. I am full of disgrace. See my misery. Now, we can understand here why Job is saying these things. Oh, yeah, you know. absolutely. I mm -hmm. mean, look at what he's been through. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so uh, we'll go ahead and finish this little section. If my head is exalted, you hunt me like a fierce lion. And again, you show yourself awesome against me. You renew your witness against me and increase your indignation toward me. Changes and war are ever with me. So Job's conclusion here is that, well, you've made me and you've you know, intricately formed me. Why would you treat me like this? Mm -hmm. From a point of complaint, not from a point of understanding. Right. Well, Romans 9 is very instructive here. So we're going to spend a little time in Romans 9. And so this is the chapter where, at, at this point, Paul is explaining things about Israel. Mm -hmm. But he goes into this section in the middle of the chapter that really settles this free will versus God's sovereignty's uh, argument. Yep. Now, he is talking about national sovereignty in terms of Israel rather than individual sovereignty, yep. but it, it's the same The same thing applies. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're going to start in verse 18, and it says, Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he hardens. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, God's in complete control. So what's the next logical argument? Well, actually, Paul gives it to us, which is sort of what Job's saying. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? Boy, that sounds a lot like Job. Sure does. As in, God, if you're in charge of everything and you're doing this to me, but you're not allowing me to do anything different, how can you find fault in me? You know, if you are willing me to act this way, if you predestined me to hell, so to speak, how can you find fault in me? Oh, well, Paul gives us the answer. But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? I love this, Curtis. I used to be in an environment many years ago where we'd have a lot of theological discussions and things like that. And I always remember, and especially in the free will, God's sovereignty space, people mm -hmm. would come up with these, these really well-developed arguments and this really big philosophical, there's the word, thing about it. Paul doesn't do that. Paul, no. Paul takes the exact same position God does at the end of Job. As in, That's who, right. who are you to reply against God? I don't have to give you the reasons why God does what, No, who are you? And it's exactly what we quoted earlier. Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? That's right. And as an example... 
does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another dishonor? As in, God can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to answer to you. And that's exactly what God said to Job when he said, you know, if you're so great and you think I'm doing it wrong, go fix it. Do yeah. it yourself. It's the same you thing. Do, you think you can do better? Let, let's see it. Mm -hmm. Now, these next two verses, and then we'll read the third one to finish the sentence. I felt when I studied this, it has been a long time ago, I felt like I understood this so much more. Verse 22. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Now, in both of those verses, it says the word prepared. Mm -hmm. So we read that in English, and we go, oh, well, he prepared both. So logically, God prepared some people for hell and some people for heaven. But that's not quite what Paul is saying because the yeah. word original word in the Greek language those are actually two different words yes now in the term in the space of uh, wrath prepared for destruction what that means is it is you do something because of something else that happens mm -hmm. you now have to prepare because an event that was unexpected Right. Now, the other one, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, that means you prepare something in advance of an event you already know is going to happen. So here's what that means. Let's say I invite someone over for dinner. What do I do? I prepare the dinner because I invited them. Right. So when he says which he had prepared beforehand for glory, those are the ones he foreknew. He predestined that chain. He prepared in advance, because he already knew they would believe, beforehand. He already prepared for them because he knew. Now, what's interesting is, what if somebody shows up uninvited from my house right around dinner time and we're all hungry? What do I do? I prepare dinner. But I prepare dinner because of an event that happened, rather than in advance of the event. So what God is saying here is that for those he foreknew, he prepares in advance. He, pre he predestines them because of his foreknowledge. But the ones that don't believe, which he also knows that, he prepares hell for them because they don't believe, not because he forced them not to believe. Mm -hmm. He prepares the punishment because they didn't believe, but he prepares heaven because he already knew they believed. Mm -hmm. And that's actually how that works. Now, can I explain it further? And if you still have questions, yeah, but if we knew everybody would or wouldn't believe, what would he... Look, it's the best I can do. That's as much as the Bible explains it. God's totally in charge. He has mercy on whom he has mercy and hardens who he hardens. Yet at the same time, we have total free will. I can't explain it, and that's how it works. And so Job here is having just having the wrong conclusion. He's leaving out this kind of idea that, uh, yes, God knit you and he made you, but now you're just complaining and forgetting that God has an ultimate plan here, and you need to realize that, and he's preparing you for something else.
Mm-hmm. And I just love that. Um, and so now let's go back to Job. We'll finish out the chapter here. <coughs> Job asked for a couple more questions. Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Mm-hmm. Like he said way back in, was it chapter 3? Why, why did I not just die? Oh, that I had perished and no eye had seen me. I would have been as though I had not been. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Cease. Leave me alone, that I may take a little comfort before I go to the place from which I shall not return. That's death, the grave. To the land of darkness and the shadow of death. A land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death, without any order, where there is, where even the light is like darkness. God, why is all this happening? I don't want to. Exp- I don't want an understanding. I just want to complain. And I don't really understand what you're doing. Just leave me alone and let me die. Yeah. I'm glad Job didn't die, because we have this story to learn from. That's right. And by the way, Job got blessed too, so it worked out for him, and it works out for us. So we're actually going to stop there. Uh, I hope. Yeah, I hope I've hit the pause button. We've actually been having technical difficulties, and I'm trying well, to pause and leave had, all that out. <laughs> we've had a few, guys. I, I'm sorry. Uh, if, if things sound a little choppy, it was because I was having some audio difficulty and, and video difficulty on my end, so mm-hmm. my apologies in advance. Yeah, But we are still grateful that you joined with us, and we hope that you got... Uh, a blessing from listening tonight. And hopefully, you know, some of these concepts are uh, a little clearer to you now that we're, uh, that Lucas has, has uh, kind of explained and dissected some things. And boy, he certainly is good at it because I, I enjoy listening too, Lucas. I want you to know that. Oh, good. Thanks. Really good stuff. <laughs> really good stuff. But, uh, we're going to do this again. Uh, we're still going to be in Job, I assume, mm. uh, our next broadcast. So uh, be sure and be ready for that. About a month from now, uh, we will be doing another episode in Job. So uh, thank you for being with us tonight and, and listening in. And uh, uh, be prepared. Uh, put it on your calendar. The first week of April, we'll be doing this again. So be ready for it, and uh, you'll get fed again. And, buddy, I get fed every time we do this, man, so thank you. Uh, very welcome. I get fed, too. I love studying it. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, with that, we're going to say good night. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Uh, but until next month, uh, this is the Christian Underground News Network uh, signing off. May God bless and keep you. Until we meet again.